Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, we read through the book of Concord and discuss it with our cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians on that cohort today. Layman, Peter Slayton. Hi. Who is the social media manager for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Then we have Dr. Kevin Armbrust, who does lots of things, many, <laughs> many, many things. I care not to list them here. W- would you like to say what your official title is? I'm the director of editorial for the LCMS Communications Department. Excellent. Which which is just all encompassing. It I'm does also it the does so much. Interim managing editor for the Lutheran Witness. Ooh, yes. But we got a new guy, so you don't have to do three not jobs much for long. But very very pleased that once again you have graced us with your presence, as you do indeed have so much that you are handling. We 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 are very thankful that you are on the show with us. And then of course also on our cohort we have the most esteemed, right Reverend Peter Ill. <laughs> you really need. To watch all those honorific <laughs> of Trinity of Milstadt, Illinois, and I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, and I just serve in Southern Illinois. That's all I do. All right, uh, let's get into uh, the formula of Concord now. Last last week, uh, we had uh, Pastor Jaime Garcia on to to give us some of the historical background. Not Jaime Garcia. He it was, was Jaime Nava, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I just slipped like, into St. Louis Cardinal oh, fandom. God, and hey, he, yeah. he hasn't even pitched for the Cardinals in a long time. It was, it was Pastor Jaime, Jaime Nava. Pastor Jaime Nava. I apologize for that, Pastor. This isn't another one of those, hey, guess who's actually a Lutheran moments. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. Um, yeah, I just brain's not working. But anyway, so we have Pastor Jaime Nava on, who gave us some historical background and setting for the Formula of Concord. We we kind of had a, a story time uh, to set this all up, and now we're going to actually dig story time into... with Papa Chemnitz. <laughs> That's missed... actually what it was. I yeah. missed it. Oh. <laughs> uh, but but now we're going to get into the actual matters of theology that were were discussed and and we sought Concord on. Uh, as we continue to do on this show. And so the first one, uh, listen, sinners, we, we got a lot to talk about here when it comes to original sin. So My we're gonna... concupiscence is already showing. Yes, that's that's your favorite buzz, buzz line for sure. But that doesn't come sure. up for like until two-thirds of the way through the argument, sir. Which, which well, we the, might make it word, to today. The word doesn't, but the concept is certainly there. So let's dig into it. How about that? Uh, So formula of Concord, and we're going to be using the epitome. And you know what? We didn't even really get into this. So Pastor L, I'm going to throw this to you. Give us give us a very brief couple sentence summary. What's what's the difference between the epitome of the formula of Concord and the solid declaration? Go. I will give you an epitome of the distinction. In fact, so the the full enchilada of the the issue 
is the solid declaration where the confessors lay out everything that they need to lay out. But when they're ready to sum it up, they bring it back down into the epitome. That is the shortened version. So the solid declaration is all of the everything. The epitome is uh, the high points. And so I think we're going to be reading from the epitome and then we will be commenting using the solid declaration from time to time, going back and bringing out some of those, those big wordy juicy nuggets. But for the sake of time, if we were to try to make our way through the solid declaration of the formula of Concord, they say the same thing. They line up with each other. But if we tried to chew all the way through the solid declaration, we'd be here for quite a while. Kind of be like doing the apology of the Augsburg confession again, where it, it it's just so meaty that it's it's rough on radio, right. but 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 absolutely. And we did kind of scratch the surface of that and how uh, the epitome was written a little earlier and things last week. But uh, um, again, we're we're going to be making our way through the epitome with references to the Solid Declaration, and in a sense, even what we'll be doing here on the show will be our own Solid Declaration of uh, you know kind of the, the the fuller explanation of what we kind of bullet point here. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, go may, ahead. I, may I also reiterate one one structural thing about the Formula of Concord that I just really find helpful. Each article of the Formula of Concord is set up so that there is the the status of the controversy. In other words, what's the question and what what has been fought about? And then there is the, here are the things that we affirm or agree with, or here's what we teach. And then there's a whole section of, and here's what we don't teach. And here's what we have a problem with. So they lay out, this is the problem. Here's what we do teach. Here's what we don't teach. And they do that in all 12 articles of the Formula of Concord. We, we've yeah. talked about this briefly before, uh, I think especially with the Apology, because the Apology has similar organization. And and I have I, I bring this up only because I've seen it done where somebody will quote the negative side as if that's what we're actually teaching and they'll miss the part where this is in the negative section this is what we don't believe and they'll pull it out and say see this is what you Lutherans teach or this is what we Lutherans teach I've seen I've seen both things happen so you got to be really careful as you're reading through okay which section am I actually in now. Is this what we actually teach? Because some of the way they're phrased, there's like double negatives and weird stuff like that. And so if you don't recognize which section it's in, you can get a little bit confused. Like, okay, wait, this is what we don't believe. Okay, now let me reread that sentence because the structure of it is a little bit awkward and can be kind of confusing if I'm not recognizing where I'm at in the, in the epitome right now or the formula. That's a really helpful point that I think will be... Um good for us as we are doing an audio show, obviously, yeah. that we'll try to be mindful for you, dear listener, um, to to highlight which section we are speaking from um, so that it doesn't get confusing. Because if you're sitting there looking at it, you know, especially in the Concordia Reader's Edition that we use here on the show available from CPH, you know, it, it's really well laid out of these are the affirmative statements. These are the negative statements, as Pastor Hill was highlighting. And, and I agree. I love all the documents in the Book of Concord. But in terms of laying out the formula is probably the most the most helpful um, for me as, as it's very clear what we're doing here what I appreciate most is it lays out here's what the question is and it does a really good job of setting the kind of the ground rules of this is what we're talking about and so here we get to talk about what is original sin here is on the one hand what some people say about original sin and frankly the nature of humanity and on the other hand here's what other 
other people say about original sin and the nature of humanity, are either of them right? Well, let's dig into scripture and figure it out. And and that's exactly where the formula article one goes. Absolutely. So we're going to go ahead and dig into this and, and uh, uh, start with Article 1, Original Sin, and I'm just going to cover what the question is, and then we'll get to the affirmative statements. We'll cover some of those and then uh, to the negative statements. And actually, I'm going to throw it to Dr. Kevin after I read the question to kind of give us what's what's the question here. What's the controversy? And that, that's one other thing I really like, too, is there's a controversy among us. So let's let's <laughs> seek what Scripture has, has to handle. If we just handled controversies in our churches like this, Oh, it'd be a much happier church. But anyway, let's dig in. So this is the formula uh, of Concord, the epitome of the formula of Concord, uh, Article 1 on Original Sin. The status of the controversy, the chief questions in this controversy. Is original sin really, without any distinction, a person's corrupt nature, substance, and essence? Is it the chief and greater part of his essence, i.e. the rational soul itself in its highest state and powers? Or even after the fall, is there a distinction between original sin and a person's substance, nature, essence, body, and soul, so that the nature itself is one thing and original sin is another, which belongs to the corrupt nature and corrupts the nature? All right, so that's the question. Very academic sounding. Uh, So we'll throw it to our academic, Dr. Kevin. Go ahead, break it down for us. What's what's the essence of this question? So, do you see what I did there? Essence of the yeah. essence, or nice. is it the substance? I don't what know. Substance? So, it's really interesting that that um, we we as Lutherans we confess with the scriptures that original sin is not just some kind of slight problem that we have, or some kind of minor issue we have to deal with, or some kind of condition that leads us to guilt, but we, we confess fully that, that original sin is actually sin in us and that we are entirely corrupted by that so that there is no part of our uh, being apart from Christ that can do any good, that, that can achieve spiritual goodness or morality. And so what that leads to is in the question of, so are you saying that human equals original sin? And that's the question. So are we saying that the essence of man is original sin? And the reason that's important is because this then really um, becomes a discussion point when it comes to soteriology and Christology. So that's the implication is, and when you use those two big words, soteriology is, is how we talk about what God has done to save us. And Christology is how we talk about Jesus as a person with two natures. And when we when we talk about this question of original sin and human nature, it actually impacts both our the way we talk about salvation and the way we talk about Jesus. And the reason that's important is because we need to confess the scriptural truths about how we are saved, that's justification by grace through faith, and we need to confess the scriptural truths about who Jesus is, and again, that's that's that he is a is one person with two natures, both human and divine. And that's that's the that's the import of this question. And as you're driving your car around, you just heard an awful lot of big words, Christology and soteriology. I don't even think I said that right. <laughs> Lots <laughs> of extra syllables. <laughs> <Yeah>. Woo! <laughs> Lots of syllables. That's the important part. But you may be wondering, why do I care? 
this this sounds a little bit like it's it's above and beyond. And I know Dr. Kevin just talked all about that, and I'm still confused. The argument that has been made is some people say, if you are uh, that original sin is just part of how all people are. In fact, to be a person is to be a sinner, and that is how God made you. Other people say, oh, it's just a it's just like a wrinkle that you can scrub off. And scripture teaches something altogether different, something that is altogether rooted in who Christ is, since Christ himself has a human nature. And as Dr. Kevin was, was saying, but with smaller words probably, I will say, if Jesus has a nature, and if nature is automatically sinful, we have a problem. But that is not what the scriptures teach, and that is not uh, what we teach in the Lutheran confessions. I was trying to not spoil the ending. That's the end. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Some people have a short commute on a Tuesday afternoon, right. so I wanted to make sure to get it That's in right. early. Get it in quickly. <laughs> Well, and, and, and I think it, it is right to highlight here, too, that, uh, you know, what, what we're dealing with is the fact that there is a sinful nature. And this is one of the things that struck me. I don't even know when it struck me. But, you know, when I was going through this um, uh, years ago, I, I, I thought I was coming to this for identifying, you know, kind of how the sinful nature even comes to be and those sorts of things. And we're really not dealing with that. We're really dealing with what you guys have discussed here in the sense of, okay, there is a sinful nature, but, but how, how, how much is that a part of the creation and, and all those sorts of things that you and guys how just bad laid is out. It? And how bad is it? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, that, so that's, that's what we're wrestling with here. That's the, that's the essence of the question. Layman Slayton, anything to add? That wasn't an accident. Uh, <laughs> Yay for philosophy jokes! Okay. So I have nothing so for, else to add. For those of you who are listening, who are wondering about all of these uh, comments about essence and substance and accidents, there is a this question arose in the Reformation because of uh, philosophical terms. There was the essence of a thing, which was its substance, or there was an accident, the uh, which is the a, a trait or a yeah. characteristic of it. Uh, in the in the editor's preface of the Formula of Concord, it talks about this distinction about there's a man and him being a man that is his substance or his essence, but the fact that he's wearing a hat. That is an accident. That is a trait. He happens to be wearing a hat, but he can be a man without wearing a hat or with wearing a hat or with wearing a different hat. And so which hat he's wearing... But not if it's a card's hat. ...is an accident. Um, and We're going to move right along, though, I think, from, uh, from well, that. And, 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 and it is... I mean, these are coming out of philosophical arguments, but I think you have already um, laid out for us that this does matter to us on the general lay level, uh, whether or not you care about philosophy or our, our subtle little jokes so, here of yeah. philosophy. Feel but, free to take everything I just said about substance and essence and accident and forget it, because, and that's actually where the end of the formula of, of Article 1 of the Formula of Concord goes, is to say philosophical terms in our theology are not important. We don't philosophize into our theology. We 
we theologize. We talk about God. That's what theology means, is we have words about God. And so we're going to focus on the words about God. And if you want to philosophize, go do that on your own time. We're going to be talking about God. Okay, I want to push back on that a little bit. Okay. Because <laughs> I, I think this, this is an important distinction to make right at the front as we get into the epitome, especially in this article, because the fact that it's using philosophical terms, you, let me put it this way, you won't find the word essence, substance, accident, used in scripture in in that those specific words you won't find them there and so we need to stop and ask then why are we using those words to describe what scripture says about original sin i think this is actually an important this is an important thing to talk about oh for one reason because you're going to get people like i don't see that in scripture where do you see that going on we need to be able to explain okay well when we're saying the formula confesses what scripture confesses and they're like but it doesn't use the word substance. It doesn't use the word essence. How can you say that it's confessing that? This is one of those areas where we are taking the best philosophical terms we can, we've found that we think do the best job of describing what Scripture is saying. But we need to acknowledge that they are philosophical terms and that we're borrowing language from elsewhere as we're talking about Scripture in order to try and accurately describe as best as we humanly can this thing that is hard. And, and this sort of thing really, we saw it really quite well in the... Um, Pastor Ill was raising his yeah, hand. Yeah, I know you guys want to debate back and forth, and you guys can't see in the studio right now, but they're sitting across from each other, which is unhelpful in this case because they just want to talk at each other. Um, but I'm in the middle, uh, so I'm just going to kind of break it up here for a second. But but. But to say, right, I mean, we, we are working with, with philosophy here. I mean, this is a document produced in that kind yeah, of... Yeah, we, we don't want to ignore that that's yeah. a and, paradigm and, here. and that sort of thing we, we saw, especially when we went through the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, is the very thing that the Church Fathers, especially Augustine, who was well-trained in philosophy and rhetoric, I mean, he was a master of these things. I mean, that's exactly how he dealt with Pelagius and, and, and all the other errors of his time as well, and, and the things that, that come out of these philosophical terms that have kind of created some of the errors as well. So, so all of it's working on there. All right, I'll allow you a couple seconds for a rebuttal. I simply want to break the rules and read from near the end of our, oh. our article for today. <laughs> <laughs> this is in, in the negative theses, but saying it positively, uh, paragraph 23. Now, consider the Latin term substantia, substance, and accidens, a non-essential quality. They are not words of Holy Scripture, and besides, are unknown to the ordinary person, so they should not be used in sermons before ordinary, uninstructed people. Simple people should be spared them but in the schools among the learned. These words are rightly kept in disputes about original sin, for they are well known and used without any misunderstanding to distinguish exactly between the essence of a thing and what attaches to it in an accidental way, or a non-essential way, I suppose you could say. Uh, and, and that's the quotation. There is a place to use these words, but we don't want to make our use of these words fundamental. We don't want to completely and totally borrow these words so that you have to have a, a degree in philosophy in order to be a Christian. And, and or to understand the formula of Concord. Or to understand the formula of Concord, exactly. Which, or to understand scripture. It, right. That's what I was trying to say. I forgot what I said. Oops. I so was just You are now in Concord. I was jumping to the end. You're not oh, yeah. debating with one another. We can move on. Yeah. 
Yeah, great, awesome. So, but we will be we will be mindful. This is what's going on, but but at the same time, breaking it down for the the simple, which would probably include your host at this point, uh, who's just kind of getting dizzy, going back and forth between the Peters here. Doctor Kevin and I are literally in the middle of this. Yes. All right, let's get to some affirmative statements. All right, so affirmative statements here. The pure teaching, faith, and confession according to the standard and summary declaration mentioned before. First, uh, affirmative statement, which is paragraph two in, in the reader's edition. We believe, teach, and confess that there is a distinction between man's nature and original sin. This applied not only when he was originally created by God, pure and holy and without sin, citing Genesis 1.31, but it also applies to the way that we have that nature now after the fall. In other words, we distinguish between the nature itself, which even after the fall is and remains God's creature, and original sin. This distinction is as great as the distinction between God's work and the devil's work. All right. I, I heard a breath there. Who's jumping in? Dr. Kevin? Well, I, I mean, this is, this is just laying out what kind of the point of the discussion is, is that um, if we start saying that original sin is human nature. Now we have a problem with God as creator. And what what we want to affirm is that God is not creating evil. He is creating good. And the fact that that creation has been corrupted by original sin does not then mean that his creation itself is evil. And this is really the whole point of the discussion is has original sin corrupted human nature so much to the point that human nature is now created as original sin? And the, the screaming answer is no. God is still creating human nature good. The fact that it is entirely corrupted by original sin does not impugn God's creation as the act of creator or in his essence as being God. It simply means that his good creation has been entirely corrupted by sin. And we want to make that very clear. At the end of each day of creation, God looked at what he had made and said, it was good. And at the end of the six days of creation... Not it was, it is. Sorry, it is good. <laughs> sorry, he said it is good, thank you, good, important correction. And at the end of the sixth day of creation, he looked at all that he made and said, it is very good. We take God at his word, and we say, God said it is good, and it is good. After the fall into sin, it is also corrupted completely by sin, but that doesn't mean that it isn't good. It is still good. It is still good, good exactly. Yeah. Thank <laughs> Just you. corrupted. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Any, anything else to mention on here? I, I think that, you know, there's, there's a burning question in my mind about... You know, some of the things that we would say then are part of the corruption that we see show itself in humanity, or, or is this better covered a little bit later on? Let's well, dig into my, it now. My, my teaser is I think paragraph five should have been under point one, but we haven't read paragraph five yet, so that makes no sense to our listeners. Okay, so so, so we do want to push let's forward. Keep going, let's, yeah. let's push forward just a little bit. All right, so then paragraph three, which is point two or affirmative statement two. We believe, teach, and confess, which is my favorite, by the way, I'm just pausing here. This is my favorite phrase from the formula <laughs> of Concord. It's used again and again. We believe, teach, and confess that this distinction should be maintained with the greatest care. 
For this doctrine, that no distinction is to be made between our corrupt human nature and original sin, conflicts with the chief articles of our Christian faith about creation, redemption, sanctification, and the resurrection of our body. It cannot stand with them. God created the body and soul of Adam and Eve before the fall, but he also created our bodies and souls after the fall. Even though they are corrupt, God still acknowledges them as his work, as it is written in Job 10 verse 8, your hands fashioned and made me. See also Deuteronomy 32, 18, Isaiah 45, 9 through 10, 54, 5, 64, 8, Acts 17, verse 28, Psalm 100, verse 3, 139, verse 14, and Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1. So in other words, just check out the Bible. It talks about this. Continue on, paragraph 5. Furthermore, God's Son has received this human nature, John 1, verse 14, but without sin. Therefore, he did not receive a foreign nature but our own flesh in the unity of his person. In this way, he has become our true brother. Hebrews 2 verse 14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Again, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, yet without sin. In the same way, Christ redeemed human nature as his work, sanctifies it, raises it from the dead, and gloriously adorns it as his work. But original sin he has not created, received, redeemed, or sanctified. He will not raise it, adorn it, or save it in the elect. In the blessed resurrection, original sin will be entirely destroyed, citing 1 Corinthians 5, verse 51 through 57. I'm going to pause there. Go ahead. Layman Slayton. <laughs> With just a couple of seconds, and then we're gonna to have to take okay, a break. Okay, so so this is this is the teaser before the break. Then, I I've, I I talk about this. I mentioned it before. I know Kevin Kevin and I talk about this a lot. But when when we look at things through Jesus and who He is, it actually helps clarify things. So there, the formula here it's laid out in a particular way because of how they're arguing. And so when I say I think this should be moved, I'm not saying they were wrong to do it in this way. I'm saying. I find it more helpful to start with Jesus. And in this case, Jesus had a human nature and was without sin. So we can't say that human nature equals sin, because if we're saying that, then we're not confessing what Scripture confesses, which is Jesus had a human nature and was without sin. I think this also has implications for what it means to be created in the image of God, that we weren't created... Okay, let's let's pause that oh, then for after uh, break. Yes. Yeah, because because we we got a lot to, to discuss there. So we're gonna talk about Jesus after break. Well, we have a, we have a correction. There is a mistake in the Book of Concord. Ah! It's okay, but it's not First Corinthians five because they don't even have that many verses in First Corinthians five. It's First Corinthians fifteen verses fifty one fifty seven there at the end of paragraph uh, six. Good, good Th catch. This is why he's the director of editorial. He can find right. that missing one Mine right says away. 15. Yeah. You must have an edition. The second edition. Yeah, which it's okay. Oh. We'll, we'll get this all sorted yeah. out over the break. But when Woo. we come back, we're going to talk about Jesus, not editorial mistakes. Awesome. <laughs> Hi, I'm Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. As we approach Thanksgiving, there is so much to be thankful for, but I'm especially thankful for all of you who volunteer your time and talents in your congregations and in your communities. 
using the gifts God has given you to share your faith in word and in deed. Thank you for your faithful labor in Christ's name. All right, we have sorted it all out after or over the break. And uh, it turns out that there are just multiple printings of the second edition. And the the more recent printings, thankfully, we, we knew we could trust CPH. They, they got the correction in there. It is indeed 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 through 57. Uh, I have an older printing uh, where, where, you know, these things just happen sometimes. It Apparently even happened have... in Scripture, and, and we get textual criticism that, that helps sort these things out. That's another show. I'm not going to handle that. I see Dr. <laughs> Kevin just, like, shaking his head at me. Don't go there! We're no. not. <laughs> scripture is without error. Yes. But but sometimes, you know, printers make mistakes. Yes. Printers are not. <clears throat> right. right. <laughs> so, uh, but with that covered, we, we really do want to talk about Jesus and why this is why this controversy matters. Uh, what what you know, what, how do we start with Jesus and addressing this controversy for that? I'm going to throw it to Dr. Kevin. So, I mean, it does help to to use the philosophical terms because that's actually what happened to cause this article to be written. And what really happened was back in the day when, when people were discussing philosophy and theology a lot, like in the Reformation time, they were using Aristotle's categories that, you know, Aristotle, right? The old philosopher dude. And he said that everything exists in kind of with kind of two things. One is a substance, and that's the essence of what something is. And then the other is the accident, which we covered earlier. And that's something that you can, that's, that's a quality of something. Well, as that goes on, this, this language is important because this is what the church used in the formulation of the creeds, right? So you think, um, you think like the Nicene Creed, he's very God of very God begotten, I mean, being of one substance. substance with the Father. See, that's this, the term substance. He's, so when you think of the Trinity, we say there's one substance with three persons, Right, and that you can't divide the substance nor confuse the person. So that's now the you're word. being very Athanasian. Yeah, that's Athanasian Creed, right? And that's the point of the Athanasian Creed is explaining how we use these words. So when we talk about substance of the Trinity, we're talking about substance of God. We don't divide that up. When we talk about persons, though, we talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? So this word substance then is an important word theologically, and when it applies to human beings. We say, well, the substance of being a human, that's the essence of who we are. That's that's how God made us or how God makes us. And so then there's, there's this dude named Flacius or Flacius, depending on how you want to pronounce his name. And he was walking around talking about original sin and humanity. And they said, okay, here's the thing. You've got to explain to us if you're saying original sin is the substance of humanity or an accident on humanity. And he thought, well... Original sin is not an accident, as in I can remove it easily, right? Because most accidents you can remove. So I have, you know, a beard. I could remove that. So that's not a that's not the essence of who I am. That's a that's an accident. That's that's one of the things that is a characteristic of me, but isn't the essence of who I am. So he said, original sin is not like that. It's not an accident, right? It's not it's not something that's casually attached to me or even importantly attached to me. It's actually worse than that. So they said, so you're saying it's a substance? And he said, well, it's not an accident. So if I'm choosing between the two, I'm going to go with substance. Right? And then they said, 
are you sure you want to say it's the substance of humanity? He goes, well, it's not an accident, so we're going to go with substance. And, and what happened is they said, well, what you're saying then is that original sin is the essence of being human. And he said, yes. And that's what caused the problem. Because when we heard that, we went, you're right, it's not an accident. But when you start calling it a substance, now we have a problem with Jesus. Because Jesus has a human nature but does not have sin. So how do we talk about original sin being the substance of humanity if Jesus has humanity but doesn't have sin? See, now we have a disconnect. Now we have a real problem with what Scripture confesses, what Scripture teaches us. And so and we have a real problem with our Savior. <laughs> yeah, and then we have a problem with, like, we're not saved because now we have a sinful Jesus or Jesus doesn't really have a human nature. Neither one of those work, Right. Neither one of those is what Scripture confesses. So this is why we sat down and had to work this out, because this is one of those instances where philosophical categories fail to confess the fullness of Scripture. And when we limit ourselves to the philosophical categories, we end up limiting the full confession of who God is in Christ to save us. See, that became the essence of the, of the argument. May I say it back so I can be sure that I understand it? Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. You, you're talking now. Well, good. So, so Flashius is running around, and they say, is original sin a, a changeable trait, an accident, or not? And he says, well, it's not a changeable trait. I can't make it go away. And so they said, so it's, a, it, it's part of who you are. And he said, yeah, it's the point of how every person is. And they said, are you sure? And he said, yeah. And they said, do you want to double think that? And he said, nope, I'm good here. And and accidentally, no pun intended, huh. uh, but funny nonetheless, uh, <laughs> he accidentally ended up saying, no, this is uh, to, to be a sinner is to be human and you cannot be human without being a sinner, even before the fall, even if you are Jesus the Christ. Well, he didn't say he all didn't that. He didn't say that, but, but, but that's those where are, it lands. those are the implications. But that's the implications okay. of what he said. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I, even yeah. though Flashius didn't say all of that, I still understand the implications. That's the controversy. Me. Yeah. Excellent. So so then my mind goes to this, right? Uh, st- stepping into our kind of modern age where we, we have people that struggle to even consider themselves as sinners, right? We, we, we deny that. Um, and, and in some ways we'll say, well, this is just the way God made me. And, mm-hmm. and those kind of arguments come out. I mean, we kind of still got a mess with, yeah. you know, where, where does this fall then for, for our, our common age today and, and sort of the issues that we see present in humanity today? Okay. I, this might make people mad. So I'm just going to put that out there. But I would, I would say one of the places we see this most commonly is in every parenting book written in recent decades, almost. Every parenting book you read, even coming from most Christians, assumes your child is good, that your child is is innocent, that your child, if given the proper motivation, will choose to behave properly and rightly, that your child is basically good. How has that turned out for us? 
<laughs> and this, this, I, I'm gonna, leave, I'm gonna leave it at that. But I think this, this, you want to know where do we see this? Well, that's one of the first places. We're raising our kids with the belief that they are by nature good. So this entire article, I mean, on that is the sin, chief doctrine of Disney movies. Right. Well, d- yeah. then Disney <laughs> is just the most popular version of it. But this is has become. Let me let me use some philosophical terms. The substance of our teaching in the church, even in many places, in how we talk about raising our kids, positive affirmation, self-esteem, positive motivation, don't say anything negative, you know, all that kind of stuff has its root in the, maybe not the straight up denial of this article, um, of what scripture teaches, but definitely an ignorance of it. So, so it is a denial then of the corruption of our nature. Oh, sure. Right. And so maybe not an intentional. Right. I, it's like, it's because I think when Christians do it, it's like it's out of ignorance half the time where it's like, I, I wasn't really taught that. So I don't know that's what I'm doing, which is why I say this might make people mad because maybe they don't even realize and, this is what's happened. And it is a tough <laughs> tension. I mean, you know, as as a father to an 11 month old, 11 month old. Right. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, there there is something, I think good about acknowledging the goodness of God's creation, right? Yes. It, it is still good. And and yet, it doesn't take too long for me to, to realize my son has inherited a whole load of my sinful nature, <laughs> and it definitely manifests itself quite often, right? Um, that doesn't mean that I then deny any goodness of the creation. And and right. so especially when it comes to babies, I think this is where it gets so difficult is because we we want to we want to honor the goodness, which I think can easily be thrown out when we just view them as kind of oh these these just terrible beings, right? You know, and they're and a horrible certain, sinner, so I'm not gonna feed them. Well and, Wait, and what? And even just seeing what we see in, in our culture with the lack of regard for the preciousness of life, mm-hmm. right, and things like that, and so we kind of react against that and and try to restore the goodness of it, but then we fall too too far off to the other side of the horse, right, and and just say, oh, well, they are by nature innocent, um, you know, being born into this sinful flesh. I I don't know. I'm 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 throwing a lot of thoughts I, out there. I think, again, what what this article drives us to, as as the um, confessors wrote in the Formula Concord is it really drives us to the question of who are we in Christ? And and you got to remember, this is baptismal language. This is sacramental language. Um, this is even in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks this way, is that the real point of all this is to be in Christ. So the question is not, how do I see my daughters as people? That's really not the question. The question is, how do I see them in Christ? So I am free to confess with the scriptures that the they're sinners. They're dead in their trespasses and their sins. I mean, this is Psalm explicit. 51, in sin, right. my mother conceived me. Yeah. I mean, and we don't have to shy away from that because that's not fearful because as soon as we say that, the next question is, what has God done about sin? What has God done for sinners? What? How does God see sinners? And the answer is in Christ, right? In Christ, God has reconciled the world into himself. In Christ, sin has been destroyed. In Christ, they're not dead but alive. And, and all of a sudden, I, I learn not to treasure, well, you know, this abstract idea of humanity. No, no, no. I, I treasure humanity as God's good creation, which has been reconciled unto him in Christ. So that's where you drive the entire conversation. Who are my kids? They're baptized in Christ, right? So, so I'm very 
open and honest and not fearful to admit how sinful they are. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not fearful to admit to you how sinful I am. And in fact, I walked into church yesterday and said, I'm a poor, miserable sinner. You want to talk about how I've sinned? Well, let's go down the list. And, and at the end, I deserve from God temporal and eternal punishment. There's, there's no fear in saying this because the next thing we say is, but because of Christ. And his mercy. And his mercy. See, in Christ is mercy of God. And in Christ, we also see the image of God. In Christ, we see humanity. So one who is not ashamed to call us brothers because he shares with us, right? Yet he was without sin. So this is the one I can go to and say, as a sinner, I need rescue. Who can rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 7, right? So that when we confront the, the, the depth of the corruption of original sin, we are free to say it is fully corrupting because we have a redeemer who redeems it fully. We are also free to stop and say that doesn't mean God created us in an evil way. It doesn't mean God is responsible for my evil. I am still responsible for my evil. Even the evil that I inherited from my parents, I am responsible for that because my actual sins reinforce how much my concupiscence has taught me to love that sin, right? I can't say, well, it's just my mom's fault. Well, because my life shows that I'm totally in concert with what she gave me in original sin, right? It's not just Adam's fault because my sin showed that I'm totally in concert with that sin. So what happens is I take full responsibility for being sinful and I run to the one who is fully human, yet was without sin. And this article says that I can have full confidence that the one who came to be my redeemer does not need to be redeemed himself, right? This is the argument in the book of Hebrews. He doesn't need to be redeemed himself because he was without sin, because he's a son of God. But as a son of God, he also has a human nature that is not corrupted. Therefore, the point of this article is we cannot say that original sin is human nature. We can't because we confess in Christ is a human nature without original sin. So then, I, I know we, we've talked about the philosophical terms and so forth, but bringing it kind of back to that thought as, as kind of our way of talking about this. So the, the flicking error then was, is he doubled down and said it's it's part of the substance, right? Right. Because um, it's not an accident. Because I right. can't take that away. Right. And, and if you're only going to give me two options, right? Yeah. But but is it fair then to say what he was missing then is actually the gospel and Christ Himself? Because Christ is the one who takes it away. Yes. Right. Yes. And and in Christ, and I especially see this you think uh, come Jesus out. Jesus is the way. <laughs> but, but I heard that somewhere before. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So and and I especially see this in Saint Paul's writings, and as I use the one year lectionary, especially the, the Advent readings kind of, you know, you're not in darkness, you know, like, right. and, um, you know, so ultimately by my own works, obviously, and St. Paul's not saying this either, I can't fully take away this sin, but we can fight against that evil. Mm -hmm. We can mm -hmm. fight against that sinful nature by the power of God through his working of his Holy Spirit, who is ultimately going to take this away at the last day, right? And has already won that victory in what Christ has done on the cross. And so, you know, what what was lacking in the controversy, and you have wonderfully highlighted for us, all of you, right, is, is that 
the gospel right. is is got to be our our starting point in this discussion. It's got to begin with Christ, mm-hmm. as as you so often yeah. love the, to say. Our mm-hmm. doctrine of original sin is actually about the gospel. It's not to get us to focus on original sin and how bad we are in that sense, but it's to point us to Christ and, as Kevin said, what he's done for us because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know good church-going folks, and they are wonderful saints in Christ, but because our culture so influences and so forth, we sometimes get a little worked up when you start calling people sinners. Or I, I, I love it, <laughs> baptisms especially. I had one yesterday when the baby cries out and everything. I'll say, you know, oh, I know that sinner hates to die. And, you know, you just called a sweet little baby mm-hmm. a sinner. You know, you're terrible. Like, the exorcism's we're, working. We're good. Yeah, but, oh. but the reality, I always bring it back to, but it's okay because, you know, guess what? The gospel is for sinners. Right. Is, is really only for sinners. <laughs> and so I, I can talk about this sinful uh, little beautiful baby and it's still beautiful, right. but it is a sinner. But it's okay because Jesus is for sinners, yeah, and myself I think, included. I think this is as, as we go forth in this world with this confession, right? Because we are to confess. So as we go forward in this world with this confession, the, the issue with calling someone a sinner is actually the fear of what that means for how I'm going to treat them next. Right? What does this mean that you're calling me a sinner? And the answer is, it means that we're going to talk to you about what God has done to forgive sin. That's really what it means, is that the reason we need to make sure we're clear on what sin is and the fact that I'm guilty of sin is because that leads me to what God has done to forgive sins. And so we are not scared. I said this earlier. We're not fearful of admitting that I'm a sinner because I know God's rescue. Now, it is totally improper if I use this doctrine of original sin to hate my neighbor. That's improper. I can't say I get to hate my neighbor because they're they're full of original sin and concupiscence. No. That's, that's a problem because you are actually, too. <laughs> right. And that's actually where this, this issue comes in too, is, is in Christ, I see even my unbelieving neighbor in light of what Christ has done. And I say, good creation of God, Yes, entirely corrupted with original sin, but good creation of God, one that whom one that God has sent his son to redeem. And that is how I see him and or her. And therefore, I love them with the love of God. Right. As we are called to do. Which which then maybe is a is a good place to and and Pastor L, I know you want to jump in. You've been very patient, but uh, maybe this is an important place to bring it back to my question then about what that that common phrase that we hear today of, well, this is just the way God made me. Right. Right. Go ahead. There went what I wanted to say, but that's okay. Um, When we hear that that claim of this is how God made me, this is the way God made me. And that means it's good. It is to, once again, double down on everything is either substance or accident. Uh, And to say, well, if this is the way that God made me, then that's just part of who I am. And I hear this quite a bit uh, in terms of how I am as, or how people are, or uh, as, say their their sexual proclivities perhaps uh, i hear this quite a bit in uh, conversations with with homosexual people or with transgender people and they'll say this is how god made me so this is how i need to come to understand myself and scripture doesn't teach that god makes anyone to be a homosexual or that he traps anyone into uh, a different gendered body what scripture does say is God made people and they are good and that they are sinners full of sin 
completely corrupted by sin, and that in Christ he remakes them. Uh, you had talked before, Pastor Smith, about baptism, and from time to time, uh, in the baptismal rite that, that we use, it says the Word of God also clearly teaches that this person is a sinner condemned by God for sin. And from time to time, the question comes up, Pastor, can we take that out of the baptismal rite? We don't want to say that about our beautiful little baby. No, the Word of God is still clear. The Word of God speaks about us as people who have sinful natures, who are sinners. And it is because we are sinners that we need Christ. If God made me this way and I just need to learn to love myself the way that I am, you don't need Jesus. And with good intentions, you have just taken away the gospel. Uh, we don't let our good intentions take away the gospel. Absolutely. Let's get a little more on the affirmative statements here. As a matter of fact, we'll just kind of conclude. We the, can finish that up today. Yeah. And then next week, we just get to dwell on all the negative stuff, which is really <laughs> where I thrive because I am a wonderful sinner that is full of negativity. Um, bad, bad But you segue. don't have to like yourself the way yeah, you are. I don't. I should. In Christ, you, yeah. can, you, can, you are forgiven. God yeah. did not create you that way. Hmm. Well said. All right, picking up paragraph seven then. The distinction can easily be discerned between A, the corrupt nature, B, the corruption which infects the nature, and C, the corruption by which the nature became corrupt. So the third affirmative statement then, paragraph eight, is, on the other hand, we believe, teach, and confess that original sin is not a minor corruption. It is so deep a corruption of human nature that nothing healthy or uncorrupt remains in a man's body or soul, in his inward or outward powers, citing Romans 3, verses 10 through 12. As the church sings, through Adam's fall is all corrupt, nature and essence human. This damage cannot be fully described, Psalm 19, verse 12. It cannot be understood by reason, but only from God's word. We affirm that no one but God alone can separate human nature and this corruption of human nature from each other. This will fully come to pass through death in the blessed resurrection. At that time, our nature, which we now bear, will rise and live eternally without original sin and be separated and divided from it. As it is written in Job 19, 20 through, 26 through 27, after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold. Thus far, the affirmative statements. All right, that kind of serves as a good summary, but to go ahead and with just a couple minutes left on the show, go ahead and wrap this all up, the affirmative statements. Give us some more good stuff here. Layman Slayton. <laughs> I, I think it's back to our point, you can't escape this, that that – one of the things that was taught, we covered this in the Apology and the Augsburg Confession, is that the, the Roman Church was teaching, and I believe still teaches, that original sin can be done away with through your baptism, that it can actually be removed. There was also a teaching that it's not a total corruption. It's, it's really, really bad, but it's not total. It hasn't gotten everywhere quite yet. Uh, you have Christian traditions that, that still do teach that, that there's this little bit of grace still in you that's great and good, and anything you're doing for your salvation is acting out of that little tiny bit that remains. No, we're being very clear. This is total. You can't escape it. And it's 
There, there it is. Can't get away from it. It's like that scene from Monty Python where the guy is there with no arms and no legs, and he says, but it's just a flesh wound. <laughs> it's just a flesh wound. <laughs> your arm's off. And, no, it isn't. And the argument here is your original sin is not just a flesh wound. It is fatal. It is totally and completely corrupting. Therefore, you need a savior who isn't you. You can't fix your original sin problem. Uh, but God didn't make you with original sin. And we hold these two things in paradox at the same time. You can't fix it, but Jesus can. Right? Bingo! And and this, this is another contemporary uh, connection, I think, because, again, as, as we, we struggle, sometimes we get, you know, in, into the church and we're raised in the church that sometimes we don't really realize what it is that we actually confess. And I, and I've heard it, you know, directed to me, well, pastor, so you're saying that I am a sinner. Yes. And that there's nothing I can do about that. Yes. So then, you know, what about these good things that I do? I, I think this ties into the good works discussion, right? You know, this, this was a part of, sure. um, again, when we went through the apology of the Augsburg confession, th this comes back again with that good works discussion and, and, and to which we say, right, there's still nothing you can do about it right now, because Christ has done something about it, as I already highlighted, this is the way St. Paul operates, right? We can we can fight against, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this corruption, this evil that is within us. And ultimately, Christ will remove it at the last day. But in the meantime, right, there's nothing you can do about it, but Christ takes care of it. Dr. Kevin. I, th I think that the most important statement of his entire positive or affirmative statements is paragraph 10. We affirm that no one but God alone... And that's the heart of the matter is it's not a question of whether or not original sin can be removed from a human. The answer is yes, it can. The question is who does that? And the answer is God. But then the opposite question also is who caused it? If God removes it, is it his fault that it's there in the first place? And the point of this article is to say, no, it's not God's fault. It's your fault. And they say, well, that's not fair. And they say, we're not talking about what's fair. What we're talking about is what, what God does to remove that from you. So we're going to affirm, on the one hand, God's good creation, and affirm, on the other hand, God's good act to save us in Christ. Well said. That's our cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians, layman Peter Slayton, Dr. Kevin Armbrus, Pastor Peter Ill, and myself, Pastor Sean Smith. And if you would like to leave a question or comment for us that we can address the next time we convene for Concord, when we will discuss the negative statements on the original sin, you can reach us by calling 314-996-1542, email us at kfuo at kfuo.org, or find us on social media at kfuo radio. Thanks for stopping by today, and until next time, keep confessing, church. <laughs>